Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. You're very welcome to the Big Red Bench this Saturday. What a big day of sport it was. The Grand National has just ran off and it was Noble Yates, 50 to 1 shot, who won it. Loads of Premier League action to reflect on. Munster versus Exeter is ongoing. Munster 5 0 down after 26 minutes, but have just saved a try with a fantastic tackle. Uh, so starting to improve a small bit there. Cork versus Galway in the Camogie National League Division 1 final. Matthew Toomey joins us. Well, he joined Jeremy McCarthy earlier during the week and we'll hear from that later on the Masters Shane Lowry's in contention we'll keep an eye on all of that plus we talk F1 with Sarah McKenzie and more that's all before 7 Yeah, Aidan Lee here with you until 7 on Cork's Red FM. Another lovely sunny Saturday um, here in Cork. And uh, yeah, it's making these drives home to carry a lot easier when it's in, in, in the bright sunshine. So I'm happy with that. Uh, but yeah, a long, a long hour to go and a packed hour to go here on the big red bench. As we said, Munster 5-0 down to Exeter. I think probably lucky to be 5-0 down only. Um, by the way, I've, I've just had a look on Twitter and uh, I've just been casting an eye on the game and they've not hit the ground running um, a lot of injuries of course Peter Mahoney is out Simon Zebo pulled out just before the game with an illness Gavin Coombs obviously got injured last week as well and um, Joey Carberry as well also injured but at this stage you'd nearly expect Joey Carberry to be injured rather than fit uh, but Ben Healy starting and uh, ben, I think Ben Healy is, is, has been a fine out half for Munster um, in, in the last couple of years so um, myself and Conor Murray Conor Murray the experienced man now on that field uh, Jack O'Donoghue who was the captain tonight but uh, Murray is the the man that, that should be marshalling them with all his experience Ulster have one foot into the quarterfinals of uh, of the Champions Cup they beat defending champions Toulouse in their first leg of the last 16 uh, it finished Ulster 26 Toulouse 20 Toulouse were down to 14 men they got a red card quite early on in the first half Roberts Balakun scored a hat-trick uh, for Ulster so uh, good going there by Ulster hopefully Munster can re- replicate that and uh, try to, to set up uh, something that they, they can hopefully achieve a quarter final with uh, at Thoman Park next week um, Arsenal slipped up to Brighton in the Premier League this afternoon the Seagulls won 2-1 at the Emirates and uh, United now that the drop points by United like Arsenal and drop points uh, as well so many times it's, it's like a couple of seasons ago as well it was similar I think it was Louis Van Hal was over United nobody wanted top four everyone was dropping points in the last couple of games so it's there for the taking and Tottenham now have the chance to go and seize that but uh, yeah Nigel Bidmead was at the Emirates where Brighton won 2-1 Arsenal 1, Brighton 2, a disastrous afternoon for Arsenal, who've now suffered back-to-back defeats at a crucial time of the season. The visitors went ahead on 28, a hurried clearance from Lewis Dunk, found Enoch and Wepu in space on the right, and he had time to look up and pick out Leandro Trossard, who hammered it home first time. Then on 66, Enoch and Wepu doubled Brighton's lead with a precise finish from the edge of the area. Later on, Martin Odegaard scored with a deflected shot from distance, but the Gunners had left it too late and it finished Arsenal 1, Brighton 2. Yeah, and Spurs are 1-0 up on Aston Villa, 33 minutes gone at Villa Park. So, uh, yeah, it's turning into a great weekend for, for Spurs. Uh, John McCarthy and Dave McCardle will be delighted with that. Uh, Chelsea smashed Southampton in the Premier League. Southampton love to get beat by, like, five or six goals every so often. So United beat them 9-0 there. Was it 
two years ago they got beat by I think they got beat 9-1 or possibly 9-0 as well by, by Leicester City a couple of seasons before that so yeah so Lampton under um, Ralph Hasnutler are a very very strange outfit but yeah Chelsea as I said smashed them up 6-0 uh, that's a right smash it up in fairness Alan Lewis was there it's finished Southampton 0 Chelsea 6 the Champions of Europe dishing out a thrashing here at St Mary's Marcus Alonso put Chelsea ahead after Timo Werner had twice hit the woodwork Mason Mount got a second before Werner and Havertz made it 4-0 going in at half time Werner and Mount scored 5-6 and six just after the break and you wondered if we were going to see double digits as it was Chelsea took their foot off the pedal with the game well and truly in the bag the perfect response to a difficult week for Thomas Tuchel's men a day to forget for Southampton in front of their own fans Southampton nil, Chelsea 6 Antonio Conte and Steven Gerrard are having a bit of a I, I, I get to know each other on the sideline there at Villa Park I'm not sure what happened there it was a challenge Harry Kane here and John McGinn John McGinn is always feisty in a challenge isn't he and yeah Gerard and, and Conte getting into it there wonder see yeah, yeah yeah well Gerard being a bit annoyed there nothing I would say uh, Leeds United have beaten Watford 3-0 in the Premier League Michael Lawrence reports Watford 0 Leeds United 3 Leeds United's great run under new coach Jesse March continues in what looks like a comfortable win in the end Rafinha put them ahead midway through the first half Watford rallied but were undone by a defensive mix-up which allowed Rodrigo to make it two before Jack Harrison's strike late on was the icing on the cake. Leeds are surely safe, but time running out for Watford to avoid an immediate return to the championship. Full time, Watford nil, Leeds United three. Munster had gotten themselves into a decent position there on the Exeter 22 and they've given away a penalty for crawling and that is the first time I've ever seen a penalty given for that. As I've never seen that flash up on the screen before. Uh, so yeah, still 5-0 there, 30 minutes gone but yeah, Ben Healy was really annoyed looking anyway when he turned around he was giving somebody uh, a, a talking to um, so yeah, it's not going great for Munster but look, they're still in it. Um, Exeter haven't punished them yet. Everton, as we said, boosted their survival chances in the Premier League league with a 1-0 win over Manchester United a deflected strike from Anthony Garden who did it hit none other than Harry Maguire of course was enough to give the Toffees the vital three points to go to St Park and United honestly were pathetic uh, it was as bad as you you will see like and you, I seem to say that every week but um, yeah really really poor really poor and Maguire just eh, when he's on the pitch something bad happens so it I don't know what it is he, look he clearly isn't that bad because we've seen him do good things for England he did good things for Leicester and Hull as well before he went to and he's done some good things for United as well at times but I don't know the guys I'd say there's a hex on him from, from somewhere anyway but it's not it's just really not going well for United now it's really starting to fall apart under Ralph Rennick I don't really blame Ralph Rennick for it I think the players just I don't think they care um, I'd say they're already in holiday mode to be honest with you they've absolutely uh, no uh, ambition of of reaching the Champions League even so um, interesting to know I just don't know why United don't have Champions League incentives in players contracts or at least punish the players somehow when they don't reach the Champions League so I don't know anyway Spurs though are looking like they're going to be right in contention for that fourth spot if they keep this up at Phillip Park 37 minutes gone 1-0 oh Munster have just scored a try Uh, try for Munster Uh, oh no, no, no they haven't no they haven't never mind they have not scored a try I have Never mind. That is the penalty count. Uh, it's sick. Seven five. It's in the penalty. I thought Munster after scoring a try. I was looking down there. 
BT or I don't know about their I yeah anyway sure yeah I'll blame BT yeah five nil Tegster Munster did not score a try I'm going to move on now to Cove Ramblers before I get anything else wrong uh, tough night last night for them they lost four nil to Waterford uh, manager Darren Murphy spoke to Kevin Glavin. Over Ambler's manager Darren Murphy uh, thank you for speaking to us on Red FM uh, Cole, Darren I suppose look um, tough night free um, he kind of slogged away in the first half and they got two goals I suppose look uh, just first of all give us your impression of the match yeah I think look it's tough to take I don't think it was a 4-0 game um, you know I know it's hard to say, <laughs> say that and you know after losing 4-0 but it wasn't I thought we played really well the first half you know we controlled the game um, we played really good football we got a couple of chances I just think, you know, again, set pieces not picking up and kind of, you know, losing men and stuff like that and and, and kind of small bits of inexperience at times. Um, you know, and you're 2-0 down and it's tough to take because I suppose after the first one look, you know, again, set piece, 1-0 down after playing so well. But then, you know, like this is the second week now at home, you know, we've had a clear penalty and it's not being given and that changes games as well. Unfortunately, it does. I'd lo- I, I, I hate you know saying that stuff and kind of you know I, I don't like doing that but like to to not to not give it I, I think geez, like you're, you're saying, like I, I don't understand it but you know it, you go one all in you're back in it with the home crowd and it's a totally different game I think second half then you know we, we go out again we start the, the half well you know we, we're on top then for you know the, 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 the period of time and you know then to concede another sloppy goal is um, is tough to take but look I suppose again you know we're you know you're playing against full time teams there the last two weeks you know they have time you know recovering stuff before matches it's hard for lads working and stuff like that and I'm not using it as an excuse it's just a fact um, and you know we just got to kick on and, and we, look we're, we're trying to use everyone in our squad and everyone's got to be ready to play and you know like at times we, we look like you know the Premier Division team or the, the full time team so you know you've got to take positives away from it as well we've got lots of minutes into lads legs so we just got to you know move on now yeah because like I suppose Waterford and I suppose you'll be playing Cork City in a, in a while they kind of aren't a standard especially as you say the full time setup that conditioning you know you just see how those players and obviously they played quite a bit of Premier Division football last year really kind of showed just in their physicality didn't it yeah just a bit of experience at times you know using their body well um, you know when they got forward they knew the areas to hit you know and, and you could see that you could see that like but uh, look again I, I just I, I just think you know we're we're probably slow to get going but we are getting going you know we're playing really well like it's it's hard to put your finger on it saying like you know you're, you're, you're playing you're playing well and just not getting the results but look we just got to soldier on and keep going and like lads got to pick themselves up and not feel sorry for yourself and move on and like look there's a long season there it doesn't matter what the results are now or what the points are now or where you are in the league now it's what where you are at the end of it like you know and again we've got to get out and fight like you know can I ask you I suppose it's a very honest question when I looked at the game and pitch like you have a, a team of quite a lot of very you know technically good players but they're finding it very hard to get the ball down. Pitch is dry. Is that working against you now? Because it seemed like tonight you were kind of forced to play a lot of long ball when I think a lot of your players would be a lot more comfortable with the ball at their feet. 
Yeah, look, it's 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 tough. Um, it is it is quite bobbly out there, as you can see from the game. Um, I think a lot of pitchers are like that. Galway last week was, you know, Galway was worse than this last week. And uh, you know, I think I, I don't know what's going on with the pitchers in Ireland at the moment. Maybe it's the wrong time of the season. You know, you probably work on your pitch in the summer when you get growth from the sun. But we can't. We're playing summer football here, and you're playing on the on the pitch. And then you know, in the winter, it's just getting worse and worse for each club. You know, like even Turners Cross when we played there, it's the worst. I've seen Turners Cross in a long time um, and I think yeah look I don't know maybe need to do something about it all the clubs but um, yeah it, 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 is, it is a disadvantage to us as a nation playing football you know especially if you're looking at playing European games and stuff like that um, you know and teams are coming over and you're playing on bobbly pitches it just doesn't work does it no. um, I suppose finally Darren I don't want to hold you too long um, obviously you have break on Friday if I'm right and then at Lona home the following Monday obviously a great win against them the last time so a good chance for you to kind of reset take stock and maybe push on now get a win against last loan and get the win behind your sails yeah look again I, I'd say it again like I'm, I'm looking at all the games we've played and you know like you know full time team Waterford this week we you know put it up to them obviously you know you don't get the result last week Galway the same again you know like and, and I, any anyone we've played so far I, I, I say to our lads all the time like if they play to their potential I, I, I really think I don't I don't think there's a team in the league that could beat us but you have to play to your potential every week and every minute and you know again I'll say about taking chances and stuff like that and when we are on top in games we have to create more and we have to we have to score chances you know when we're on top there in the first half when we're playing around them and I think Waterford is sitting back and sometimes you know you need that bit of aggression to kind of go forward and kind of say like look take take a chance and, and score a goal and put them you know and then go at them again and sometimes you know if you're not if you're if you're going at teams and you're not scoring they just go down the park then and score you know and, and we, we've just got to be better in, in, in that instance like you know thank you very much Darren Murphy there uh, speaking with Kevin Glavin after last night's 4 and loss to Waterford Munster have had a man sinbind they're down to 14 for the next uh, 9 and a bit minutes uh, 37 gone there so nearly half time if they made it to half time now 5-0 I'd say they'd be pretty happy I just don't really know how Exeter haven't they had just haven't punished Munster they might do here they're, they're inside the 5 metre line oh Munster are scrambling here let's just stay with this for a minute Exeter are they over the line I think Munster might just be holding them up here um, strange duck egg sort of blue jerseys by Exeter uh, still going for the line inside the five. Oh, you feel it's coming here oh, Munster are still keeping them out it's good going it's good going I was going to try and commentate on this oh, they're over now they're over Exeter are over for a try uh, it's not going great for Munster now that is going to be probably uh, 12-0 at half time because it's fairly scorable uh, conversion so yep uh, two minutes to go uh, till the half time whistle and they're really struggling hopefully they can try and resurrect something in the second half uh, Kevin was also speaking with uh, victorious Waterford boss Ian Morris last night of course interesting uh, with, with Waterford of course Cork City is probably uh, will will be one of their title rivals this year so interesting to hear what he has to say because uh, I know you all have a have a way to go even though not as far as I suppose <laughs> you normally would um, comfortable enough I think really the second half you had to battle a bit in the first but uh, but comfortable you got to, got to bring out the changes a win under your belt the first one since the 11th of March I know you had a drop week as well in fairness um, so all in all probably pretty positive we had in a way yeah ha- happy with tonight um, the, the first half like the, the, the pitch is 
asking anyone to try play football on that pitch is scandalous. Uh, the second half, there was a bit of dew, a bit of moist on the ground that, that allowed the ball to roll a little bit better. And that's that's a little. But uh, first half for both teams, like the ball couldn't roll through at all. And, and you're asking lads to move it quickly, and uh, it's bobbling everywhere. But look, we stuck to our task in, in games like that. You have to be professional. You have to defend well, and you have to take chances when they came. And, and we done that tonight. Yeah, I mean to be fair, I think it's it hurt Cove as well tonight that pitch because they couldn't play the football that they wanted to play. Hurt both teams equally, and for all of us watching, it didn't make for a great game. But two goals from two set pieces and a clean sheet. Um, I suppose, like just especially look, Georgie getting his first, you know, big big moment for him as well, and he's faced a little bit of criticism because of what happened last season. So great for him to get on the score sheet. Yeah, brilliant, fantastic, and, and he uh, he stuck in and he's done really well when asked upon this this season. And same with everyone, we we've had a lot of disruption with suspensions or with injuries or with illness. And uh, next weekend, I think will be the first week hopefully we still have two now we're waiting on but hopefully could be the first game we're going into with uh, a clean bill of health just talk to us about the start of the season for yourself because obviously the first two games rocketed off and then it's been kind of difficult I know I know that you've look, there's been criticism from the supporters and stuff I, I'm, and I know you've come out and you've you're only new to the job as well so it's been a bit of a strange start you've kind of seen the good the bad and the ugly haven't you since you've arrived yeah a little bit I don't get drawn into it and you can't look fans that they've got so much pride and so much emotion in it and you've got to try to stay away from that and you've got to try to see the bigger picture and it's just been individual errors that have hurt us this year the lads have had to plug away and I think our performances have really been improving and I think we've dominated the ball in every game we've had in terms of possession and passes made and completed and chances created as well so we're okay we've cut them out like you said we keep clean sheets we'll score goals and do you think it's unfair some of the criticism do you feel it's been unfair given the fact that you're only new to the job yourself and obviously the team are reeling from being relegated last year as well ah, look I, I don't read into it I, I don't I don't listen to it I, I ignore the noise to be honest uh, we've got a focus on this group of players who've been really good they work really hard um, and they're exciting as well when we get it right as well so look we just keep plugging away we'll keep uh, we'll keep moving the ball as well as we can and keep trying to create as many chances and like I said we keep clean sheets will hurt teams well if you keep two clean sheets in your next two games two massive games for you as well uh, in a very short space of time Galway and Cork City of course so um, what's new attitude coming into that I suppose getting a win here gives you a real buoying kind of bounce going into that weekend it does yeah it gives us good momentum going into a, a weekend uh, as it is with the, with the two big big games um, but look we showed in them games like we blew Galway away in the first half and then two two errors from us uh, hurt us and the same in Cork if you watch if you watch four of them goals back it's, it's not great viewing but um, we'll, we'll be okay we're looking forward to it yeah and I suppose look just finally and I don't want to keep you like if you how big are these games because if he you know if, if things don't go quite to plan this weekend you find yourselves a long way away so you know I suppose you're not trying to focus on the negative but it is a huge weekend isn't it for you ah look p- people will get carried away with it um, I've been in this position before um, and we've gone and won the league so uh, I think it's, it's, it's great that, that you can draw up pressure on this but look we've only completed one game around there with three rounds of games uh, to go so Look, we just want to win games. We want to win every game we go into. Um, but to be starting to talk about what's going to happen in October, November now, uh, I think it's a little bit premature. <laughs> Perfect, Ian. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.
Ian Morris there, uh, Waterford manager, speaking to Kevin after last night's match. Now, as we mentioned, 50 to 1 shot. Noble Yates won the Grand National Entry. Jockey Sam Whaley Cohn announced his retirement earlier in the week, so this was his last ever ride, which is unbelievable to go out on the back of winning the Grand National. And here is the uh, commentary from Mike Vince as he describes the closing stages. And it's any second now on the outside, and Noble Yates. And these are the two that look as though they're going to fight out the finish with Dalla Work trying to stay on. But it is Sam Whaley Cohen. It surely isn't going to be the dreamiest of dream finales. He's out in front and he leads with any second now. Poised to challenge down the home straight. It is Noble Yates. He retires the jockey immediately after this. And he's going to record the most famous of Grand National victories. And he's also won a Gold Cup in a career that ends now. Noble Yates wins any second now, second. And they are a mile clear of the rest. What a story. Sam Whaley Cohen, Noble Yates, Emmett Mullins and Robert Whaley Cohen have won the National. Yeah, father-son combo as well, winning winning for his father and retiring with that. And he's an amateur as well. He's an amateur jockey, which means actually he doesn't get any money, which is quite fun about his father. I'm sure will give him something uh, out of that. Uh, yeah, uh, Dennis Corwin was also at Aintree. Uh, this is his report. 50 to 1 outsider Noble Yates sprang a surprise in the 2022 Aintree Grand National to complete quite the fairy tale for amateur rider Sam Whaley Cohn on his very last ride the day before his 40th birthday. Whaley Cohn had had seven wins over the Grand National fences in the past over shorter distances, but this was his first time to win the Grand National. He's the winning most rider over these fences in history. It was also an amazing success for the County Carlow-based trainer Emmett Mullins, who becomes the latest member of the Mullins family to gain success in the most famous race in the world. Willie and his cousin David have also won the race. Noble Yates and the Ted Walsh-trained 15-2 favourite Annie Second now rose together at the last, and they fought out the finish, with Noble Yates staying on best to win by just over two lengths. It was also an Irish 1-2-3 as Delta Work took third place under Jack Kennedy for trainer Gordon Elliott. Santini was fourth and Fiddler on the Roof fifth. There was no joy for last year's winner Rachel Blackmore as Manella Times crashed out early in the race. But every Grand National winner has a great story behind it and Sam Whaley Cohen who has built up a massive dentistry business finishes off his career with the success that you just couldn't make up. At Aintree with Paddy Power News the place for all your Grand National Festival tips. I'm Dennis Kerwin. Yeah, Dennis there at uh, Aintree, and yeah, great story. Uh, so that is it uh, for, well, the Irish Grand National, of course, next Monday, Easter Monday, so uh, that will kind of round out the uh, the uh, jump racing for the year. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to that, and uh, uh, we'll have a look at that next Saturday to see who might, uh, who you might be keeping an eye out for with that. Uh, to Gaelic Games now, um, I was in Ossestack Park on Tuesday for the minor Munster hurling clash between Kerry and Cork. It was, I have to say it's great to see uh, my own county Kerry playing Munster uh, hurling um, at any level. Um, I think it's it's uh, much better as we'll hear from the Kerry boss later on who's actually used to be my woodwork teacher at school uh, Tyg Flynn but uh, yeah playing this uh, level uh, against Cork I know is a pretty big scoreline in the end uh, the Rebels were comfortable winners it is much better um, but yeah we spoke to Paddy Murray after the game you happy with that? yeah I suppose look 3.25 you take it on the way down uh, condition wasn't great wind was very very strong you know I suppose so 
uh, we still have areas probably to, to brush up on um, but obviously good to get a, a start like that and I presume you expected kind of Kerry to, to put it up to you in the opening quarter like they did so just already a case of weathering that was it and then yeah and, and I suppose the other look they obviously uh, elected to play with a very very strong wind so um, you know I thought we were comfortable in the first half I suppose one area that we spoke about half time was I think we were being outdone on the on the breaking ball particularly around the middle of the field and maybe off there puck out a bit you know but once we started to push up on that um, you know things started to improve and I suppose good um you know, good, good link-up play for, from Naz showing the, the work that's been put in, like, not just even this year, but kind of coming up through the through the, the age grades, like, and there's obviously going to be uncertainty until you actually get out on the pitch playing championship, but when, once those nerves were overcome, like, you know, it was a, it was a good... Um, performance like yeah look I suppose we've been working on it in training but you know doing it in training and coming out in a, an environment like this uh, are two different things I thought we you know look I thought we were pretty okay in it obviously next week facing Limerick we need to do, do things uh, quicker we need to be far more clinical you know so um, but it's a good you know it's a good run out for next week and that's helping given that it'll be Limerick's first game or will well I suppose there's two ways of looking at Dennis you can you can uh, turn around and say Limerick will have a good look at us tonight so they can go in and do their homework uh, personally I'd probably prefer to have the game yeah. uh, and coming away from here injury free which would be the key because you know we're light in certain areas at the moment because of the level of injuries we have and the lads who are missing tonight will any of them be available next week no no okay. look, they're, they're uh, more long term than, than short term okay I suppose there's a lot of like versatility there as well. You move players around in the second half, I suppose. The likes of Daniel Mornan there at centre-back, he came up the field and got a few scores in the second half. So is that a, a big key that you have players that can play in multiple positions? Well, I suppose that's the way uh, the lads would have been training him anyway. And I think we'd all be a firm believer that a player must be uh, very adaptable in, the, in the, uh, the, the way hurling is played today. So, you know, I suppose players have to be comfortable in lots of positions. And look, I suppose, I suppose Daniel did make a big difference when he went midfield. Pete uh, did well when he went back centre-back and I think our, 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 our uh, guys we bought in did make a difference as well which is key going forward Perfect um, Just to, uh, Kerry what did you make of them um, obviously look they're uh, you know they're, they're not going to be winning Munster Championships but it, you think it's a worthwhile exercise to have them in the Championship? Look I said first of all uh, they've obviously a lot of work done because structurally I thought they were very disciplined in their play um, you know so look I suppose we're all for uh, the promotion of hurling and uh, if this helps them along the way uh, so be it you know Sorry, actually, just how, how different, I suppose, a prospect is. Uh, how good is it to come down to Chile somewhere that guys probably haven't been before and to play hurling in Chile? And it's a different experience, I suppose, for, for the lads than minor teams of the past. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I suppose the one thing that people, uh, I suppose, don't think of, they still uh, look at minor being 18-year-olds. Like, you know, these are 16, 16 and a half. Jaden Casey came in there, is, is underage next year. He's probably about 15 years of age. So, you know, it's a huge learning experience for these guys and look we're not putting any pressure on these guys because you know uh, uh, look of their age uh, you know we want them playing with Cork in, in four or five years time I think that's the key you know 
Yeah, Paddy Murray there after the minor game on Tuesday, and uh, I also spoke to uh, Kerry boss uh, Tyg Flynn. And what you make of Cork? Um, oh, very slick team. Like you know, they're, they're very strong at number six. Uh, very physically, very strong. Uh, so they like the Cork seniors, I suppose, with the short game, the way they play it. They kind of go around the diamonds and then they move it. And uh, number ten uh, for them was very pacey, good finisher. So uh, look, Cocker Cork and. They won the minor art last year. We guarantee them young fellas want to follow suit with what uh, their predecessors have done. So nice like this coming down to Shalee, like you know, you were saying there playing B hurling, I suppose, the last you know, 10 yeah, 15 yeah. years. Like, nice like this are a lot more beneficial to carry hurling in the long run. Oh, they are, yeah. Look, we can say the, the thing with the B hurling is it's fine looking, it's just a good level, but there's not much learning in it um, where it, like, do you know what I mean it's the second ball if we make a, if we drop a ball here we ain't getting it back but if we drop a ball at, at that level there's a good chance we're getting it back so you have to be a lot more clinical there has to be a lot more power that was the one thing you noticed from the cocklets they, they were very good at moving forward they were powerfully built so look it's an experience our lads will learn from it and uh, I, I definitely think it's the way to go like yeah, Ty Flynn there, Kerry uh, Minor Hurling Manager. Um, coming up after the break, uh, really important story and a great story as well. Uh, it's all in aid of uh, Marymount Hospice uh, fundraiser for them, a virtual walk. We speak to Sean Holland, whose uh, friend uh, Killian Lawton passed away at the age of 24 uh, in 2021. And the fundraiser this year, the virtual walk for Marymount is in memory of him. So that's coming up after the break. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench. Yeah, you're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench here on Cork's Red FM. Aidan Leahy here with you until 7. It's a big week uh, next week for the Marymount Hospice. There's a virtual fundraiser, uh, well, it's a run, a walk, a hike, or whatever you want it to be uh, in order to raise funds for what is a vital service. This year it is in honour of Killian Lawton, who passed away last year, and uh, his friend Sean Holland told me about Killian and about the fundraiser. The 15th to the 18th of April are important dates in the calendar as there is a virtual fundraiser in aid of Marymount Hospice. It's in memory of Killian Lawton who sadly passed away at the age of 24 last year. And uh, I'm joined on the line by his friend Sean Holland. Sean, thanks for coming on. No bother, Aidan. Thanks for having me. Killian was big into sport. He was indeed, yeah. Jeez, there, wasn't, um, there wasn't many sports. No, he didn't watch. Um, he was a good sportsman, no. Touched all aspects of it: hurling, football, soccer, rugby. He um, he was involved with them all. Now, um, to be fair, and I suppose that must have been uh, a big help then when he was uh, going through uh, what he did go through uh, over the last couple of years. Can you tell us, I suppose, what happened to Killian? Uh, he passed away last year. Yeah, so um, Killian passed away in July last year, and um, he kind of been battling uh, cancer with a while. Um, it was tough, you know, to get cancer at such a young age. You know, nobody, nobody wishes that on anybody. And um, but Killian always um, kept his head up. He he never he never spoke about um, you know with us. He was he was always talking about the the next match or the next game or something. He never really let, let it get him down. But um, yeah, sport was a great healer for for Killian. To be honest, um, he was a big rugby man. No, rugby was a a big thing that got him through and. Um, you know, uh, I remember around the time of the Lions, he was um, he was more interested in that now than than um, anything else. And 
it was a real it was something that really got him through um, all the treatments and everything he was uh, even bought tickets to the Rugby World Cup in 2023 and you know it, like it sport is a great something great to like get people's minds off of um, troubling things in life and, and Killian really used that to his advantage and I suppose as well the, the the community and and the friendships you build when you're involved in sport and obviously yourself and uh, I'm sure a, a gang of friends would have been around, which is really important at a time like that. Yeah, definitely. He he was involved with local GA club there with Barry Rowe and um, he was an integral part of uh, the Ibane Gales team that won the county, uh, the under twenty one county a few years back as well. And um, you know, Killian was it was a real. Um, a real big, big character within the team. Um, you know, any of the days up to Central Stadium, he'd be seen in the back of Lark Corvus and um, you know, he'd be on the buses, go up to the matches and everything. And he was, um, he was brilliant that way, always getting involved. And uh, it was a great laugh whenever he was out. So, you know, it, re- it really hit us hard when, when, when the news came through that he was suffering with this. But um, to be fair, we, we gathered as a group. You know, um, Everyone was very supportive of him. His family were brilliant all through the process. But um, he, he was a warrior through and through right to the very end. So um, can't say enough about the man. I suppose then this is a, a fitting and a special way to, to remember him and to raise funds as well, uh, very importantly for uh, Marymount. Um, the virtual fundraiser starting on the 15th. Yeah, of course it is. Like um, like any, anyone listening, everyone knows someone who's been affected by cancer. But... Um, we, especially in Cork, everyone knows about Marymount and the brilliant services that the nurses and the carers have in there. And um, I suppose that the virtual run itself was set up by a couple of girls from Clan, Alana Crowley and Eddie Clancy. And um, it started off um, virtually, obviously, with, with COVID there a couple of years ago. And it was in aid of Alice, uh, who was Alana's mum, and then uh, Michael Clancy, who was uh, Eddie's uncle. So that was the last two years. So this year now, it's, it's in aid of Killian. And um, course everyone everyone knows about Marymount and, and what the money can do for people inside there because the, the work they do inside there just can't be you know looked upon as anything short of fantastic you know the care they give people there that might be in the last days of their life just is is as good as you'll get so um yeah it'll be great to get a few people out running um wherever you are um and in terms of donations, um, there's an Instagram page and there's a, be a link to an Eventbrite uh, page. People can donate there. I also know that there'll be um, buckets down in Court McShurry and also the uh, possibility of uh, dropping money into the petrol station, Barrow Quap. That's also a manner of means if you can't get onto the, the website. Absolutely, yes. it's a vital, uh, vital service, and, and vital to to do the uh, fundraisers like this, and and to keep it all going. And mm-hmm. the fact that it's, uh, as you said, virtual, it, there's great accessibility, you know, and people, whether they're in Cork or outside of Cork, can take part. Yeah, if you can take part, if you're over in Tokyo, Sydney, there's people after signing up from all corners of the world. So that's the great thing about these virtual events. They um they allow people to you know take part wherever they are you know, and it doesn't matter what you run whatever you're able to run um, you know everyone that can take part it would be great to get as many people out as possible but um, yeah it'd be great to do it in Killian's honour you know um, he'd be he'd be glued to the Munster match today now I know that for a fact yeah. um, that, that, that's something as well I probably have to give a shout out to as well that uh, a couple of Munster players um, were very generous um, when Killian was sick I managed to 
to get um, a few, a couple of players to send out a video. I do, I do my own um, sports podcast on the side, and I knew a couple of Munster players. So um, there was um, players there like Peter Romani was a great man to help out there. He uh, managed to be kind of a middleman for me, and um, you got a few names there like Conor Murray and Ty Byrne. They were actually playing the South African A's um, the day they sent on the video, so they had their mind somewhere else. So there was other fellas in who were big help for like uh, Zebo and Earl Carberry and, and Shane Daly was another massive help there so they can't say enough about the Munster players now helping there yeah, like you can't underestimate what that can do for someone uh, like when they're going through something so difficult the boost that that can give someone is incredible oh without doubt without doubt like it, it, to them it's probably just sending another video but Killian, it was one of the last things he remembered before passing away and, and, and to me it, it gave me great solace in, in knowing that that brought a bit of brightness to one of his final days and it'll be something that'll live with me for the rest of my life that I was able to do that and um, I'll be forever in debt to the lads from Munster for having me out there. As as often we do in Ireland, we we try to take a positive out of something that that is sad, and uh, this fundraiser is is a great way to do that. So we'll encourage everyone to get involved. We'll we'll share the links out uh, on our own pages on the Big Red Bench Twitter account as well. And uh, yeah, it's a fantastic uh, fantastic thing you're doing for Marymount. That isn't uh, you know they they deserve every bit of it. Um, people inside there managed to get in and see him before before he passed away and. You couldn't meet nicer, you know, they are the salt of the earth and um, they deserve every penny that they're going to get. Absolutely, Sean. Thanks a million for telling us about Killian. He sounded like a, a great man and a great sportsman as well and uh, I'm sure he would have he would have loved taking part in the fundraiser and um, it's, it's a great way to remember him. It is fantastic and thanks Aidan for, uh, for having me on. Yeah, Sean Holland there um, speaking about the virtual fundraiser for Marymount in honour of his friend Killian Lawton. And if you want to get involved, go to Marymount underscore hospice underscore race on Instagram, Marymount underscore hospice underscore race, um, or head over to the Big Red Bench Twitter account. We tweeted out the Eventbrite link there. Um, so it's a great cause. So do check it out if you can and if you're around. And to take part in any way or just to donate, uh, give it give it a look. Um, now, as we said, earlier the Masters are ongoing and it's uh, it's turning out to be a big big weekend for Irish golf possibly maybe Shane Lowry is in contention he tees off at 20 to 8 Irish time he's 3 under Scotty Scheffler popped off yesterday 8 under um, so you know unless he, you would have to see him either dropping one or two shots or at least just you know not, not popping off again for anyone else to have a chance but yeah Lowry he's in a great place if he can just clean up his start like his first couple of holes yesterday and the day before they were just a bit sloppy so if he can just tighten that up because uh, he's he's playing great stuff in the back nine um, so uh, elsewhere uh, Seamus Power uh, on the 12th hole of his third round he's 6 over 2 over for the day McElroy's 1 over for the day now through 6 he's 3 over altogether. Podrick Harrington missed the cut um, so yeah, no big movers yet, not, no big surprises from the early uh, tee-offs. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll all be glued to the Masters come tonight and tomorrow night, I think, um, especially with Lowry doing so well. Um, and also tonight, big, big night for Cork Camogie. And uh, Cork boss Matthew Toomey was speaking to Jeremy McCarthy on the Women in Sport podcast ahead of tonight's huge clash with Galway in the Littlewoods Ireland Camogie League Division 1 final. 
Cork Senior Camogie Manager Matthew Toomey joins us here now on the Big Red Bench to look ahead uh, to what's going to be an absolutely cracking uh, National Camogie League final between Cork and Galway a rerun of last year's All-Ireland final it's in Crow Park on the 9th of April at 7pm uh, Matthew you're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench how are you? Very good thanks Joe um, It's been a while since we spoke and that's because your last competitive game was the 12th of March uh, a fantastic game again a draw with Kilkenny in, in Barky Cueve in very different uh, weather, weather uh, conditions what have you and the squad been up to since then? Um, I suppose initially after the game we took a week off because we knew there was going to be a gap to the final so since then I think we just took the, kind of the midweek off we back on the start and we've been full foot full back at the training just to train and keep doing what we're doing and trying to improve on a few things as well because we did pick up a few things on, on the kitchen in the game that we want to work on you know we, we've been working away and we still you know continue to do so how important was it from you and your management team's point of view that you got a championship intensity level game against Kilkenny? A huge because I suppose the the, the, the first two games like, they were different for their own reasons like the weather was a big implication in the the clear game and the Limerick like they, like they were short so we just needed to see a few players like you know so like they were tested to the full um, I suppose the most pleasing part of it like we went ahead we should have kicked on which was disappointing but the, the, the better part of it was the fact that we were kind of dead and buried and they never panicked and, and I think we analysed the game to death nearly and um, they, just, they just kept the, the way we wanted to play and it came good from so they could see that side of things as well that's look, what we're trying to do will work if we try and do it to the best of our ability which is very positive role of Indeed, and it was really a gutsy performance, as I think how I described it on the day. Like it showed the character of the team. You know the skill that they have, and you know what they're capable of in terms of their talent. But on days like that, when the weather's bad, when your backs are against the wall, it is National League, it's not Championship, but you don't want to lose and you want to show your true character. I think that, that was best exemplified by the likes of Ashling Thompson, um, you know, and, and just the way that she played and just kept going to the final whistle and got the result she needed. Yeah, like there's no doubt the talent that's there, and like uh, I, I think over the last few years they've, they've they've shown a lot of grit as well. Like, but like, it, it, it certainly was zoning in on that, like you know the toughness and, and, and you know like, tackling, but also on the mind, like and, and that did come to the fore the last year, which was was very pleasing. You know, it's, it's something we are working on, and it's something we continue to work on. You know, like, this this is not going to be a stroke luck to win the league or win the championship. It's going to be down to hard work, and you know, a, a lot of Dirty things have to be done during the game, you know, the dirty tackles, you know, when the dirty ball, you know. So, look, during, during the good state, like, as I say, it's a work in progress. So. Yeah, it is. And we have to remember this is your first year in charge and it's a new management, like, in charge of a new management team and a couple of new, and some new players on the panel. From that point of view, Matthew, how much of a benefit is it? It's been nearly a month now before you take the field against Galway, but that month on the training pitch and the training sessions that you've had, I know you had a week off. It's, it, it, how important was it to have that at this time of the year for you? It's huge because, like, uh, like I was speaking about this morning, that, like, there's a couple of players that might have been out of the a couple of weeks ago and they have to come to the fore again you just you see them kind of getting confidence and stuff Um, I, I think we brought 11 onto the panel this year so you know like I suppose a lot of them players might have been looking around at kind of the Lord Tracy's National Thompson and, and probably been in awesome but now they're kind of getting you know like there's one or two of the players now the younger players are kind of taking on National Thompson with them kind of tackling and something like that they're calling them out can, you know can I go with you and that's great to see you know but like it's, they're, they're betting in well um, but, but like for the last in a few weeks it's been great because we, we just really really wanted to kind of work on a few things and look, we'll, we'll see 
next week what, what the story is with that then Indeed, and that National League final is a rerun of the All-Ireland final, as I said earlier on. Look, there's going to be a lot of media hype, I would imagine, coming into it naturally because it's a, it's a chance to go up against Galway again in a final for the first time since that day uh, last year in, 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 uh, in Croke Park. Aside from the fact that it's Galway and aside from the fact that it's the team that denied you an All-Ireland title last year, what are you looking for the most from this National League final? Um, look, I suppose... They, they, they're the only team that beat us last year. We were beaten twice. We beaten the league semi-final and the Ireland final. So, look, do you know what? We want to get a monkey off back, number one. But, like, it's a national title. We haven't won in nine years. Um, do you know what? Like, it would be great to win it. Like, I don't think it's going to define the season for either team, whoever wins and loses. But, look, it's, it's still a national title. We are looking for it on the other side of us. There's two players that are probably new to the team. Um, and they're going to have their first opportunity playing in Coke Park getting the vibe of all that as well you know and just like it's supposed to send a test from there's probably a bit of added pressure that it's in Crow Park it's been televised so look you, you get to find out a few more things again you certainly do and it's something that everyone is looking forward to before uh, the championship kicks off and the Munster Championship and then the All-Ireland Championship but just before we talk about that Matthew um, I know how happy and how delighted you were to see Jerry Wallace and his management team guide Cork to a third minor All-Ireland title in four years fantastic game with Galway done in Semple Stadium um, and uh, last week and on top of that Trevor Coleman and the Cork Intermediates reaching a Division 2 uh, league final Th- these are good times for Cork Camogie and it's important that these teams are doing well even from your point of view Oh absolutely um, Like, there's massive credit have to go to Jory and, and his management team like to, to get three All-Irelands like that was unreal I got down to the water game and I thought they were under pressure like, but they, they ground it out they, like, I, I think from seeing them the, the, the All-Ireland final as well like they have to win the great championship because it was not easy there. Every game was a battle and they showed some great character. Obviously, there's a couple of girls after standing out that we will certainly be looking at now next year or the year after or something like that. But um, huge win and, and it's great for them to keep that going. It's just, it keeps the kind of the rotating door there. Like, but like uh, on top of that, then Trevor is doing a great job and he's made it. Um, you know, like, that was that was a great win again last weekend. Like they're up contention. Um, so like, like it's fantastic to have them no, our competitive. It's great for the lads as well because it's, it's, it's look, it's tough going being, being involved in two county teams like that, and look, they're, they're getting the rewards for all the work they're doing. Indeed, they are, and it's it's good as you said. Like that momentum builds even into the uh, feeds into the senior side of things as well. Finally, just before uh, we finish up. Uh, Matthew, the draws for this year's Glen Dimplex, the new, new sponsors coming on board for the All-Ireland Camogie Senior Camogie Championship. You've been drawn in Group 1 with Tipperary, Waterford, Wexford, Dublin and Clare. Um, you know what's ahead of you now. You have the Munster Championship, but you know what's ahead of you in terms of the All-Ireland Championship. You know the structure and what you need to do to get to a semi-finals. Obviously, Tip are kind of the headline act there, but Waterford, Wexford, Dublin and Clare, four other very different challenges and four, thing, four counties along with Tip that you're going to have to be wary of. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, you know, nothing to hear around. It's, it's the way we want it. We want to be tested every week. We, vote early. we want to be challenged tactically as well as everything else. And, you know, each game is going to be different. Like, we we, we, we can't go with the same, you know, ideas for each game. Every game is going to have to be different because they bring different challenges. Um, so, I'm, I'm like, I know I've been very happy with the draw. It's a very tough draw. If we don't perform, we won't qualify. If we do, we will. So, you know, whoever tops the group goes into the semi final, whoever comes, you know, um, after that, then is into the quarter final. But, like, um, 
every game is very difficult. You know, we haven't got the exact fixtures yet. We're home and away, but we've a good idea. We'll be away to Tipperary Waterford in Dublin, which is you know, it's 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 going to be tough going. But look, that, as I say, genuinely, that's what we want. We want these these lads tested. We want to give the panel a run and see what we're worth. And you're worth quite a lot, Matthew, already, even from what you've done this year. Um, listen, on the uh, Saturday evening, 9th of April, in Crow Park, Cork Galway, in the Littlewoods National Camogie League, Div- uh, Division 1 League final. Everybody here in the Big Red Bench wishes you, uh, your management team and your players, all the best. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nina. Yeah, hopefully a big win for Cork there this evening um, at Croke Park. Just when you think Munster is starting to do something, they throw away a line out. Ten uh, nil still they trail to Exeter with 54 minutes gone. And Kudasevsky has doubled Tottenham's lead 2 nil now over Aston Villa at Villa Park. Sarah McKenzie, usually on the Women in Sport podcast with Jur, uh, with Jur McCarthy. Uh, she spoke to us uh, today because usually, usually qualifying is only about... Uh, just finished but uh, of course Australia it was early morning start uh, to qualifying so we had a chance to preview tomorrow's Grand Prix and uh, she gives her thoughts on what she thinks might happen Sarah McKenzie joins me ahead of tomorrow's Australian Grand Prix for once we actually know who's going to be uh, making up the starting grid before we start the big red bench uh, it was an early start for qualifying did you make it out of bed for the for, for quality this morning? I did indeed. The alarm went off at seven a.m. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I, I think I fell asleep halfway through. I woke up and there was Charles Leclerc on pole. But uh, yeah, Leclerc again continuing his form. Championship leader um, did better than than his Ferrari teammate Carlos Sainz, who finished P nine. But I believe there was um, possibly a different uh, package on on Leclerc's car um, this weekend than Sainz. Yeah, so I mean, this is something that that wouldn't be too uncommon. I think there's been a lot of chat, even though we're only three races into the season, about whether or not Ferrari are going to have to sort of pick a number one driver. And at the minute, obviously, that looks like it would be Charles Leclerc just based on his performances. And I think the fact that Carlos Sainz qualified ninth today probably doesn't help um, sort of his chances in that argument. But, you know, all along... They've kind of said, you know, we have two really strong young drivers. We don't really want to pick a top driver, but I think it will come to a point in the season where they're probably just going to have to do that from a strategic point of view. Yeah, he's probably a bit unlucky, to be fair. He had a 118.4 in Q2, which would have left him uh, P4 if, if, he'd, if he'd replicated that in, in Q3. I think he was probably a bit unlucky. Um, and, uh, of course, as well, another person who, I suppose, uh, maybe older uh, F1 fans who mightn't have uh, come on board with the new generation, obviously everyone alone, Fernando Alonso. Um, mm. And he was having a great day and unfortunately uh, crashed out in uh, Q3. And... Um, He's going to be P10, but they are, they're looking strong this weekend. Absolutely. I think the Alpine are sort of the, the dark horse almost since the start of the season. Both him and Ocon have been performing really, really well. It was just a, a collective groan of disappointment, I think, when Fernando crashed. He was having, like you said, a fantastic qualifying. And you could see he was really irritated as well um, about what happened. He had been absolutely on fire, but I think... You know, as long as they can get the car into a solid state for tomorrow's race, he's he's always a threat, no matter kind of where he starts from. He's got so much experience, um, and and you know, so much kind of fight still left in him. I think I, I would never rule him out for sure. Yeah, and Alpine clearly do have a good car because I think it's it's widely known that if this car was not good, then Alonso would not be racing because he's here to compete. 
Absolutely, yeah. He didn't. He didn't come back to kind of you know not be in the points. So it's definitely that's definitely worked out for him that choice. A big improvement uh, this week was McLaren, who have uh, finished uh, Norris P4 and, and Ricardo in his home Grand Prix P7, which is nice to see Ricardo because it would have been horrible if he was back P15 like he was in the first couple of races. So it's great to see them back into the top ten. Um, I suppose is it just that it's it's horses for courses? I suppose this track just suits McLaren, and the the first couple didn't. Yeah, and I think, you know, I kind of chatted about this on the, the Women in Sport podcast earlier in the week and McLaren from last week's or the previous race in um, in Jeddah, you did start to see an improvement and that was in both cars. Obviously, last year, Norris seemed to be a much stronger performer than Ricardo, but I think with the kind of all the regulation changes and that sort of levels the playing field a small bit. I know Daniel Ricardo didn't quite get as much performance out of the car today, but I think you know, first home race in three years, he's going to be massively up first. They've had over 400,000 people across the weekend. So I think he's going to be massively up first. And if anyone makes a mistake anywhere at the front, both him and Norris will certainly be, be ready to pounce there. Yeah, splitting the two of them are the two Mercedes, Hamilton and Russell. It's actually, I think it's the first time Hamilton has, or did Hamilton out-qualify Russell in the first race? Um, but uh, Hamilton has out-qualified Russell this time anyway. Um, and fifth and sixth uh, for Mercedes, and I suppose when you look at how well McLaren have done their similar cars, they use a similar powertrain, that's mm-hmm. probably the, the correlation there. Absolutely, and I think unfortunately fifth and sixth is sort of the best that Mercedes are able to get out of the car on a Saturday at this point. Russell, it was looking like Russell was going to qualify Hamilton today and Lewis just about pipped him um, kind of in the, the final few minutes. But I think really, again, it's going to be for them sort of capitalising on any of the mistakes up front. I think given the track changes and what we've seen over the weekend with the drivers kind of struggling at different points in the track, I think we could potentially see a safety car, which obviously for the leaders would not be preferable but for those that are kind of waiting in the wings behind it could be really interesting to see what happens if that does um, you know turn out to be true during the race tomorrow Yeah well with guys like Stroll and Latifi on the grid safety cars are very possible Yeah I mean it's again another collective groan I think from anyone watching Nicholas Latifi has now crashed in every single race since the final race of last season and you know Williams are already as everyone knows a massively struggling team both financially and then of course on the track and they actually then had Alex Albon was disqualified from qualifying after that because they weren't able to take a correct amount of fuel samples from his car so Honestly, just a disastrous weekend for for Williams all round. Yeah, and Stroll as well. I, mean, I, I suppose it, it's a shame because like you've had so many good, great Canadian drivers down the past, and the two mm-hmm. guys are letting the side down here. Yeah, unfortunately, I think Stroll, in his defence, until a, until sort of two seasons ago, he was actually quite, making quite a good impression, and then the low rake versus high rake change last year, Aston Martin's car just wasn't up to scratch, and I think unfortunately this year the fact that they're running a Mercedes-powered engine isn't really helping them either. And I think, unfortunately, he's just not quite living up to the first couple of seasons, what we saw from him. And then obviously, if you're being, you know, if you're being involved in these kind of crashes and things like that towards the back of the grid, it's it's not helpful either. Lance Roll was ultimately, you know, he's got a three-place grid drop and two penalty points for the incident with Latifi today. But I think, to be honest, the whole thing was just a bit, strange and awkward and I think it probably does more damage to Latifi's image than it does to Stroll's 
I suppose then I'm setting this up here for, for looking at the two Red Bulls um, Perez P3 Verstappen P2 Leclerc is a lonely man on pole mm. position tomorrow on, on the grid and he's going to have those two Red Bulls right on top of him and with three DRS zones he's lucky it's only three now it was supposed to be four yeah. those two Red Bulls are going to be right on him from the get go Absolutely, although I do think I think Max Verstappen appeared to be sort of having to push a little bit harder than he normally would to get the performance that he was getting out of the car this weekend, so I don't think he's quite as comfortable as we've seen him recently, so I think it'll be interesting to see whether, you know, if he can sort of partner up with Perez to to take on Leclerc or whether they'll struggle for performance in the actual race. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. And I do hope for for Ferrari's sake that Sainz can kind of carve his way up through the field. But I think it's going to be quite difficult. There's quite a few really feisty cars there. The Alpines, for example, are not going to back down without a fight. So I think he's going to you know possibly find it quite difficult. And there was a lot of expectation that this would be almost like a MotoGP race, uh, that you'd have people interchanging positions over and over. And I'd say that's probably why they did maybe reduce it to, to three DRS zones. But like, I suppose you, you wouldn't turn that down if you were watching, uh, I suppose, Perez, Verstappen and Leclerc constantly interchanging positions. Like, that's what we wanted with these cars was to get closer racing. And I suppose you don't want an overtake to be too easy. But if they're, if they're good overtakes, then uh, that's, that's what you want to be watching. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I'm I'm not really... There's sort of a debate kind of going on at the moment about the tactical way that DRS is being used this season because of how closely the cars were able to to do this sort of cat and mouse game. And I don't. I actually agree. I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily. I think, you know, they said that they reduced the DRS zones in Melbourne from four to three for safety reasons. But with that being said, you know, Formula One is, is a high-speed sport and, and there's always danger. So I actually agree. I think un, unless it is sort of becoming a repetitive thing where it takes away from the excitement, I think we should carry on with it. And I think so far it's, it's been fantastic and it's produced some great racing. So I'm actually in favour of, of keeping as many DRS zones as we can, to be honest. Absolutely, yeah. Tomorrow's going to be great. Another early start if I can try and get out the bed for it. <laughs> Sarah, thanks a million and uh, enjoy the race tomorrow. Absolutely, you too. Yeah, Sarah McKenzie there giving her thoughts ahead of tomorrow's Australian Grand Prix. Out of time, if you missed the show, you can catch up on the uh, with the Big Red Bench podcast on all podcast platforms and redfm.ie. Rory will be here tomorrow. Stevie G is on the way next. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork's Red FM.